Hey guys, welcome back to my podcast. This is Journeys with Jen, and I'm Jennifer Griego. And I climb like hell through the brush and the bramble. Even though I had my doubts, told myself don't look down. And I turned that hill into a pile of gravel. It was only a mountain, nothing but a big old rock. Today I have Russ Jacoby on the podcast. I hunted with Russ when I was on my buffalo hunt in the Kaibab uh, in July, right? Yep. Yep. All right. How you doing, Russ? Doing excellent. Thank you for having me today. Yeah, of course. Thanks for coming on. Uh, how did the hunts go this year after and like during the wet season? Uh, we had an unseasonably dry monsoon season, um, which helped the bison activity, and things mm-hmm. went really well. Oh, awesome. That's great. Did a lot of the hunters get their bison? A lot of them did, and um, a few didn't have opportunities, and as is typical, a few struggled. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of what I think is very interesting about what you do on the Kaibab for the buffalo hunts, tell us about the co-op and kind of how the hunts work up there and then how you kind of stepped in and did that. And before you do that, Russ, please tell us, tell Jennifer's listeners what uh, the name of your guys' outfit is and, and, um, we can have you give the contact information later on, but just go ahead and give a brief introduction of yourself and how long you've been outfitting on the Kaibab and guiding in Arizona, et cetera. Okay. So, um, I'm Rush Jacoby. Most people that hunt bison or they're interested in bison um, might have heard of me or know who I am. Uh, I'm an Arizona native. I grew up in North Phoenix, Deer Valley area. I went to Deer Valley High School, and then I went to Arizona State University. Woo! Uh, Fork them. <laughs> sun devil, or as <laughs> yeah. the uh, southerners like to say, a scum devil, right? <laughs> uh, did chemical engineering. And so my, my training, I guess, is in problem solving. And I was raised hunting in Arizona by a family that loved the outdoors. And w- there was a natural transition between helping other or mentoring other hunters and into guiding. Mm-hmm. And uh, my family relocated to Flagstaff. And I raised my personal family here in Flagstaff. And we got involved in the bison hunts on the Kaibab. And over time... Um, as we were successful, other hunters would reach out to us and ask us to help them, and it blossomed into what we do today. Mm. So our permits are through Mossback, Arizona. Uh, Mossback, Arizona is uh, part of the overall Mossback group, and being part of Mossback is awesome because it gives us um, access to insurance and other benefits that we couldn't get um, in a smaller company. Mm. It also gives us a lot of resources. So um, that's our legal entity and, and how we do the guiding on the Kaibab. Um, we're fully permitted and insured. Awesome. Um, the Kaibab buffalo hunt is a lot different than most hunts that hunters might be familiar with in Arizona. Yes. The reason for that is you're hunting uh, an animal that's not found in any place in Arizona in the bison, and you're also hunting them adjacent to a uh, national park. Mm-hmm. Unlike deer or elk, that you hunt in Unit 9 or Unit 10, the bison have learned 
to spend most of their time inside the park where they're not hunted. You know, in Unit 9 or 10, there's a lot of elk that go into the park, but there's a lot of elk that, that come off the park, and that's a lot different. The bison uh, preferentially choose to spend most of their time within the park. Because of that, it concentrates hunting efforts along a park boundary. So you can't hike further or go into a deeper canyon to get away from hunters. You're, you're literally hunting amongst each other. Mm-hmm. And for that reason, we've learned that if hunters can work together, um, everyone can be more successful. And so that's the idea of the co-op is to get hunters to work together amongst themselves and so that everyone can be successful. Yeah, and it obviously it worked really well for me when I went on there, and thank you for your help. You're talking to you about that. We weren't up there that long, but talking to you like the first night, you know so much about the buffalo, so much about their habits, about their history. It is insane, and it was so fun talking to you about it because it was just so interesting. Well, thank you. Um, we have a lot of passion for bison. You know, we do lots of other kinds of hunts in Arizona, but one of the cool things about the bison hunts is they're year-round, and so we're able to to hunt at times where most people are only dreaming about going hunting. We're actually out hunting, and so it's really cool to be able to be involved in those hunts um, when most people don't even realize there's a hunt going on. And if you're going after your Arizona Big Ten, that includes getting a bison. Mm-hmm. So we get to meet a lot of really cool people like the Griegos <laughs> who are on that quest to, you know, get that notch in their Big Ten. And uh, we interact with a lot of people that we probably wouldn't interact with if we weren't doing those hunts. So one of my favorite parts about the hunt, to turn that right back at you, Jennifer, is, uh, you know, you're a celebrity whether you admit <laughs> it or not. And uh, getting to hunt with you and get to know your family a little bit even for a short period of time, is one of the most enjoyable parts of doing the bison hunt. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, it was definitely a ton of fun to meet you and hang out with you for the couple of days we were out there. <clears throat> and I was very impressed, Russ, with your your logical approach to uh, like outfitting everything. up there, guiding people, uh, running the co-op, and explaining to people that have this tag. And everybody knows how difficult it is to draw the tag and how coveted those tags are and I'm sure that it goes against human nature in general to try to participate in a cooperative like that because most people, particularly hunters, are pretty competitive and they want to go out and they want to get the biggest cow or the biggest bull and they want to be successful and they want to out-compete people. And I think that your um, your message and your legacy of doing this for so many years has translated to people knowing or understanding that if they listen to you and they they follow your advice and they, they cooperate with others, they're less likely to screw each other up. They're much more likely to have an opportunity to get a, a good chance at a bison. And if they don't, if they want to just kind of go rogue and do it themselves and police the boundary and drive back and forth or hike back and forth, they can pretty much uh, they can diminish their chances as well as greatly diminish the likelihood of other people getting uh, a bison. So I was very impressed with your approach and your ability to communicate that as well as to um, sort of assuade people's concerns that they weren't going to get a fair shake. It was uh, very smoothly run, and congratulations on that. That's not an easy thing to do. Um, I appreciate that. Uh, we work really hard to try to exceed expectations. Um, it's public land, and people come to it with many different perspectives and backgrounds. And, you know, for hunters that truly want to do it on their own and don't want to be part of the co-op, um, we... We certainly uh, understand that, and we hope at least that those hunters can 
cooperating amongst themselves to to not mess each other up so they can kind of coordinate where they might hunt or something so we, we try not to assign or 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 require people to go to any particular place but act more like a um a sounding board of a way for hunters to work it out in a fair enough little way to me that was the most impressive thing was the first morning of jennifer's hunt everybody got together and they you first asked does anybody have a place they want to go or have any knowledge of a place they've been scouting and does anybody have a preference where they want to go and sit and usually it's over salt uh or over water but mostly salt right and and if people said yes i want to go here then fine they people got to go there and jennifer you know i'd hired you to help jennifer on her hunt her preference was never asked she didn't have anything reserved for herself. Everybody that else that was there got their choice, and they were able to make their pick. And then Jennifer got to go where you recommended, and obviously you know exactly what's going on, and, and she had a tremendously successful hunt. Uh, and she'll talk about that in a minute, but it wasn't you didn't start out by saying, okay, um, Jennifer's hired me. She's the only one here that's paying me, and I'm the person that puts out the salts and the blinds and stuff. Therefore, we're going to take this location. You didn't mention it at all. Everybody else got their their say, their place, and then we took what was left over and you know, it worked out perfectly. You were very excited that where you wanted to take her, no one had requested. And um, it was phenomenal. But the way that you addressed it, by letting everybody else put in their two cents worth or reserve their spot, I think, I don't, I don't see any way anybody could criticize um, the way you run it based on that. You know, obviously people criticize based on all sorts of things, but when they get a chance to say, I want to go here and this is what I heard from my friend or this is what I've been scouting or whatever, and you're like, sure, fine, go ahead. Here's your radio and just communicate with us. And I don't know, very well, uh, very well organized. Um, appreciate that. You know, it's a difficult situation. Uh, there are times that two hunters want to go to the same spot. But something that, that I really believe in and I don't know what to call it, so we coined this funny word called buffalo karma <laughs> or bison karma. And, you know, I really feel like there's a buffalo meant for you. Nobody else can take your buffalo because that's your buffalo. <laughs> and if hunters will just not be selfish, um, most of the time they're a lot better off um, to just kind of feel the pulse of nature and go with the flow of nature. And uh, they can have a much more quality experience um mm. you look at what goes on in some of the competitive units um fighting over waters mm -hmm. there was a recent report of gunfire in one of the hunts at hunters mm. and stuff oh my gosh and we're trying to stay the opposite of that you know obviously it's a limited resource it's competitive but if we can work it out um as gentlemen and as young ladies um I think that's a lot better approach than, than some of the fighting and bickering and other illegal activities that happen in some of the other units. So we're proud of, of what we've done there, and we really appreciate it um, when someone like yourself comes along and recognizes and, and values what we do there. So we appreciate the support, um, and, you know, one thing is we're not perfect. Mm. Um, we always... Um, let people know that if they're not okay with something's going on, say something. I can't guarantee you we can fix it, but I will guarantee you we'll listen and we'll try to resolve it in a, in a way that's fair and equitable to everyone involved. Mm. Well, that's, that's about all you can do. And the other thing is, you know, people 
have every opportunity to do what you've done, and that is to put salt on your back and go establish a salt place where the buffalo will find it and, um, you know, put out cameras and scout and do that sort of thing if they want to. It's public land, so they don't need to take your word for it or, or cooperate with you with the other hunters. They can do their own deal. But it's it's hard to replicate what you've done and what you've created with just years and years of stocking certain locations with salt and finding waters that the that the bison want to go to and all that sort of stuff. But but certainly people can try it on their own. There's um, absolutely no reason they couldn't. But it just takes a whole lot of work and effort. Yeah, how much? How many salts do you have out there, and how long have you had them there? Well, you know the. The bison hunt is, is a dynamic experience. It, it's not static. It, it changes over time. Mm. So what happened was, you know, years ago, 10, 15 years ago, we are still killing buffalo in the House Rock Valley. And, mm. you know, my memory of those times would be you'd hunt down in the junipers until you were sick of looking at juniper trees. You couldn't take it anymore. And then you'd go up top into the pine trees with cool mountain air and you know, more green grass, and it was refreshing. But after a few days of staring at pine trees, you get sick of pine trees, and you'd be like, all right, let's go back to the house rock. Um, But you had the kind of juxtaposition of two different areas you could hunt. Over time, the bison preferentially spent less and less time in the house rock valley, and that meant we preferentially spent more time where the bison were in the pine trees. And at first, um, there was a small number of tags and you could still hunt through the trees and so forth, and you could be semi-successful. We had a few hunters that were a little bit older, and still hunting and walking around wasn't going to work for those hunters very well. And at the time, you could actually bait with both uh, salt, and at that time, you could also use other ingestible substances. The rules have since changed. Mm-hmm. We didn't find... Um, that the ingestible substances besides salt were very effective compared to salt. In most cases, there were isolated cases where it might be effective. Um, But the salt worked so well for those older hunters that the engineer in me said, hey, why don't we expand this and do this in a very logical way? And so over time, we grew from just a few salt blocks um, to where now, you know, there's a lot of salt blocks that, are only important to maybe one hunter a year for the one time that the buffalo come there. Mm. Um, but there's there's 20 or 30 different salt stands that are regularly hunted by the hunters throughout the year. Oh. And do you put salt on those kind of... Well, how often do you put salt on those? Because I remember you were saying that sometimes they can take... Like they can eat a whole block or like a whole block in like one sitting... And sometimes they just kind of take their time with them. So how often do you have to go in and replace the salt blocks? So it depends a little bit on the buffalo. Um, We have some salt blocks still last six months or a year. Mm. And then there's other places where we're putting salt blocks out um, more than once a week. Um, I think the fastest I've had a salt block go away is about two days. I think I've actually put out a salt block before that buffalo came in there, giant herd, and consume the entire thing um in less than two days and is that a 50 pound block how much do they weigh um we we use 50 pound blocks yeah. and uh per request from game and fish we preferentially choose the the white salt blocks from a feed store so there's no additional minerals or any 
any other type of compounds that um, that would be outside the current regulations. Wow. That's a lot of carrying salt around. I'm sure yeah. that keeps you in good shape. Um, we do carry a lot of salt around. Um, I'm not the only one that does it, but I do carry more than my fair share of salt. Um, and then, um, you know, we take advantage of, like, yesterday. Yesterday was a good day. We harvested a two bison nice. um, in one spot. And when we went in to recover those bison, you can legally take a vehicle in um, to recover them. We took advantage of that trip in, and, and we hauled salt in with the truck. So whenever we can, we try, we try to do that as well. Uh, um, but there's certainly a lot of salt gets carried in a backpack. Yeah. yeah, I never really thought about bringing the salt in when you're carrying when you're getting the buffalo out with the with your raptors that you managed to get in everywhere. Um, yeah, no, <laughs> I don't even know how you get those cars into places. It, they're trucks, Jen. Sorry. I, don't, I think they're family members for us. Don't call them a car. Oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> but you get those raptors in crazy places, and then you, like, have the buffalo in them, and you just take them out. It's crazy. It was really cool to watch. You just, like, navigate the raptor through the forest. That was pretty cool. So we got a pretty good video yesterday. I haven't thrown it up on social media yet, but um, it was a pretty steep canyon, and there's an old logging skid trail there. And uh, there, every time we use that, there's always a few down logs new since the last time we have an electric chainsaw and we could remove a couple branches and we were able to to safely get down through there um the hunters were just shocked they're mm-hmm. like oh my gosh this pack is going to be horrible and i'm like this is going to be easy mm-hmm. and they're like why I'm like we're going to drive down here they're like there's no way and i'm like watch this <laughs> and uh we drove down in there and um it was a little tougher than the one that you went on, um, but it, uh-huh. it was fun. It's a, a fun part of the hunt. Um, we certainly um, love our Ford products and uh, get really good use out of our Raptors and our diesel trucks, and um, they work really well for us there on the Kaibab. Yeah, you can definitely see that when you're out there hunting with yeah, you Yeah, we can attest to that. You really know how to use them. And, and I do want to ask you, is just a point, you said... You have electric chainsaws. Is there a reason you can't use gas, or you just find that is more efficient for you and less of a problem with the gas? So we have gas chainsaws. Um, we run all spill saws, and we have very large still chainsaws that we use when the trees are really, really large. Mm-hmm. Um, when we clear out roads in the springtime, we use the gas saws quite a bit. Um, this time of year, we, there are times where we need the gas saw. Mm-hmm. The advantage of the electric saw is the reduction in noise, right? And, and um, they're quick to deploy. Um, without having to start one, you can grab it, make a cut, shut it off, walk, and do it again. And um, you're not having to start and stop the saw. So it's a convenience thing, um, but it's a performance thing. We've mm-hmm. got the largest um, battery-powered chainsaw that still makes. Um, mm-hmm. If they made a bigger one, I would have it. Mm-hmm. So still, if you're listening, please make a bigger <laughs> one. Um, but it's uh, it's let us uh, remove debris um, in ways that that wouldn't be as quiet with a gas-powered chainsaw. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I remember we were walking into the salt, and what do you what do you call yourself, the Kaibab Beaver? Uh, there is rumors of a Kaibab <laughs> Beaver that. Um, <laughs> That removes debris out of roads and trails. Um, I think it's sort of like the Sasquatch. I'm not quite sure if it's real, um, but there's there's evidence that he might have been there before. 
Yeah, I mean, we saw some evidence, so I think we can second that there might be a Kaibab beaver. But He seems very efficient. Yes. Uh, Well, kind of we talked about the co-op a little bit, and I want to get in a little more detail of it because the way you run that is very interesting. So how, um, if you can just explain to the listeners how it works with each hunter and the radios and kind of how you can get multiple buffalo off of one setup and how it works to get hunters in there from with, with the radios and stuff like that. So the, the idea behind the kayak the co-op at a very basic level is to help every hunter be more successful. Mm-hmm. So it starts with education. Uh, most hunters don't have much experience with bison. So there's a huge need to kind of fill the gap between what they know and what they need to know to be successful. Mm-hmm. So we, we try to be involved in the clinics and other events that the organizations um, throughout the state put on to disseminate that information and a big social media presence to try to disseminate information around um, shot placement, gender identification, buffalo behavior, um, safety. Safety is a really big one. Mm. Um, a good example from this week is just tree fall. Oh, you know, wow. We're in 50, 60 mile an hour winds, and people that aren't accustomed to being in a dense forest with those high winds, you could be crushed by a tree. Mm-hmm. And explaining the risks and how you can protect yourself is really important. Other how can times you protect year, yourself against falling trees? Um, the safest thing to do is not come into the forest. Um, mm, so yeah. once you choose to enter the forest, you need to realize you're taking a great risk. But you can increase your safety by not um, barking near any trees, live or dead. Mm. Um, when you hunt, um, you have to make some judgment calls of which trees are safe to be around and which aren't. And it's pretty tough to get in an area with no trees that's still an effective bison hunting area. Mm. So one of the things you can do is pick a really good tree and get close to it. So if another tree was to come down, there's some measure of safety there. Mm. Wow, interesting. I never thought about that way. Cool. So in addition to the to the safety with trees, there's also safety with the winter conditions that we experience in the Kaibab. Um, the communication, there's not good cell coverage there, so having the electronic devices that allow us to text through satellite networks and so forth and constantly updating state-of-the-art technology to the group it is important for public safety. Mm-hmm. Um, once we get past the education and the training and the safety part of it, it branches out into the, tr- the practical part of the hunt. So how do you take 10 or 12 or 20 hunters, put them in a small area, Um, where everyone has a fair and equitable chance and opportunity to hunt, but in a way that they don't diminish the opportunities for other hunters. And what we've found is the best thing to do is have a public meeting before the hunt starts each morning. Mm. So in that public meeting, um, we hand out radios so that everyone can communicate um, that chooses to. And we have a bulletin board where everyone posts where they're going to be. So if someone interrupts your hunt, it's not because they didn't know you were there. It's intentional. Mm -hmm. So there's a little bit of peer pressure there of of people choosing to do the right thing and respect the chosen hunting area of another hunter. Um, That should happen, I think, naturally anyway. But unfortunately, in today's world, that's not as common as maybe it once was. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing is if there's problems or challenges, the group can work them out together. You know, um... Our country is a republic, and it's founded on democracy. And 
in a group, they can talk about what's going on and they can figure out the best way to resolve it. Um, we don't have very many conflicts, and fortunately the, the few conflicts we do have, I think, are, are relatively easily um, resolved. Mm-hmm. Um, once the, the radios are, are handed out and uh, the locations are chosen, um, the next step is to access those hunting areas in a way that doesn't disturb bison. So people tend to park in areas that are common and walk in um, rather than you walking in and someone driving in all the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you walk in and someone else drives in, even though you're using a, a better hunting technique, that other person can basically ruin your hunt. Yeah. Um, but there's some hunters that for physical or other reasons are unable to walk as far. Mm-hmm. And a good example from this week is we have a wounded veteran um, that's disabled. Um, They're missing a limb. So that veteran is unable to hike several miles um, from where they park to where they hunt. So what the group agreed to do would be the other hunters would go in and check the spots. If there's no bison there, then we know it's safe to quietly creep in with that hunter with a quiet motorized vehicle um, on the open roads, get him as close as we can to the hunting spot. And in that way, there's a cooperative approach where the hunters that are able to hike can still have that quality experience of, of hunting in an undisturbed area. The hunter with the with the champ or challenge access permit can still legally hunt that, but in a way that doesn't disturb the other hunter's hunts. And so that cooperative effort carries over into everything we do. Mm-hmm. Um Bison are different than other ungulates. When you harvest a bison, many times the herd will stick around and protect the animal that was harvested. And that creates an opportunity for other hunters to capitalize on that. So we're able to get on the radios or the other text devices and uh, communicate to other hunters and bring them over and hopefully get additional opportunities for the hunters. Bison hunting is tough. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of hunters that hunt one, two, three, or more weeks, and they don't get an opportunity. Um, when we're hunting along a park boundary, anytime those buffalo come off and we can um, have a fair chase way to get sportsmen and buffalo together, it increases harvest success rates, and it increases our management effectiveness, trying to meet the management um, objectives on reducing bison numbers. Yeah. Um, do you know the numbers, how um, the kill rates have increased since you guys started the co-op and have gotten people on the groups of bison that um, have been shot at already? And, Jan, I think you should bring up at this point also the, the goals for management, the goals for population for the uh, Grand, yeah. Can- Grand Canyon National Park and what your perception of that is, Russ, as far as population estimates and goals for hunter harvesting. I know you spoke about those things quite a bit on Jennifer's hunt. But her listeners aren't familiar with those, so go ahead. So the bison preferentially choose to live inside the Grand Canyon National Park because it's a safe haven. The Arizona Game and Fish Department doesn't have the ability to issue enough permits um, to effectively remove as many bison as they would like to to meet the management objectives. So the current management objective is less than 200 animals. Mm. Um, that's the we total, have that's the total population that. desired for the Grand Canyon National Park is less than 200 Correct. bison, so people that... Oh, less than 200 bison, yeah. as stated in their environmental assessment. Right. Um, we're right. more than that now. 
the exact number beyond that is difficult to survey. Mm. And it's difficult to survey because of the type of terrain they're in and the way bison um, act. So they're difficult to spot from the air. And it's unusual to get the entire herd in a big area at the same time. Mm-hmm. So a big open area at the same time where you can count them doesn't really exist. So there's some new tools that they're using to try to evaluate that. Um, one of the tools that might be the most effective um, is using DNA evidence to estimate the population of the herd. And that work is ongoing. Mm-hmm. Um, in the meantime, it's visual observation helps us get an idea of the numbers, but we don't know the exact numbers. They're currently trying to remove one to 200 animals um, to get them down into a lower number and then reevaluate where we're at and to try to meet those management objectives. How many do you at, like do the hunters average per year or does it vary like too much? The annual harvest. Yeah, it varies, that. It, it varies quite a bit. Um, there's on the Gaming Fish website, if you look under the Hunt Arizona publication, uh, they do publish the numbers. And I was actually looking at those today, um, and I was looking at a number of bonus points. As hunters are asking me questions about applying for the next season, um, you can't really trust the survey harvest data um, completely. And I don't mean that the numbers aren't correct. What I mean by that is if you look at a hunt and it says 10% success, and you look at another hunt and it says 100% success, a reasonable person would say, well, that hunt's 10 times better than that one. Mm-hmm. But what that doesn't take into account is hunter effectiveness. Yeah. So we might have a season where we have really effective hunters and not very good opportunities, but they're very successful. Mm-hmm. We might have another season that's really good opportunities, but maybe the hunters aren't as experienced or as dedicated, and you might have really low success. When you have such a small number of hunters, the quality of hunter affects those numbers tremendously, mm. and there's not a way to quantify that in our current reporting. So mm. don't assume that low success published necessarily means low opportunity. It could, but it might not as well. Right. Mm. Does, that make, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it does make sense. And it, um, obviously, because the conditions are a variable and whether the buffalo are going to come out of the park are variable so everything's constantly changing especially because we're hunting animals and they have their own patterns and since they are the buffalo they like to stay in the park depending on the weather depending on like kind of however they're feeling really it definitely does change depending on the hunters and depending on the animals and everything like that um but kind of back think about the population how many i remember talking to you about this do you think are kind of in the or like on on the plane is that right those words i just i think what jennifer's getting at is i think the first night before her hunt we saw in one area probably more than the 200 yeah it one that we've seen more than the target population so and i know we we don't want to pin you down on what you think the actual population is but it's probably several times higher than what the the goal is you think that's fair to say yeah so estimates are two to four times higher um for most people. Now, obviously, there's estimates even wider than that. Mm-hmm. But I think it's safe to assume we're at least double the desired population by the by the Park Service. Mm-hmm. Right. And how fast do they repopulate? Kind of, or like... Grow the right population, yes. Yeah. 
So the herd dynamics is roughly 50% bulls, 50% cows, mm. um, based on the current population model. And we believe that we're getting 40 calves per 100 breeder cows per year. It varies a little bit year to year, but that's a pretty good rule of thumb based on our best estimates um, doing visual surveys over the last decade, okay? Mm-hmm. If you look back at historical uh, time frames um, when they were in the House Rock Valley, the dynamics is a little bit different, um, but they, they reproduce at a quick rate and they have a high survival rate. Mm-hmm. So... You know, alophons re- reproduce at a similar rate to bison, but they have a much, much, much lower survival rate. Because of that, the population um, for bison can grow much quicker than it can for something like uh, like an antelope. So, you know, within a few years, you can double a population if you're not removing um, enough of the breeder animals. Wow. Yeah, it, that's crazy. I'm, I remember talking about it. It's just so interesting. And it causes so much of an issue because we can't hunt in the park. And it, like you said, it varies on the success rate and if they're coming out of the park. So. And it's been a big issue for the last several years um, with the park service. That They've admitted there's a problem, that there are too many bison in the park. The solution to the problem has escaped them mostly due to politics and... Um, yeah, mostly politics, but also people claiming ownership for the bison and trying to find a solution to get the numbers where they would like them to be. They don't want to have hunting within the park. Um, and when they did propose some um, volunteers to to kill the bison, and they were not allowed to keep, at least one of the proposals I saw, and Russ, you can correct me on this if I'm wrong, but they weren't allowed to keep the trophy, the skull, the hide, the meat, or anything um, but you could come in there and hunt them, um, and I don't. I think you had to get it out, right? Or someone was going to get the get the meat out of there. But then the Native Americans said, "No, we have the, we should have the right and access to these, to these bison, and um, it shouldn't be state hunters or people designated by the government to do it." But I don't know if you want to get into that. But the point is, there for people listening to this podcast, as we talk about hunting, and a lot of Jennifer's listeners aren't necessarily hunters. We usually make a pretty good point about talk, talking about how we utilize the meat and how important it is for us. The Griego family is part of our daily diet. But in this case, it's not even just a great source of all-natural, non-GMO, antibiotic-free um, protein. It's also a, a matter of people have acknowledged, the Park Service has acknowledged that the bison are damaging the park. They are not native to the park. Is that right, Russ? And, and, and there are some impacts on the environment they would like to change, but the solution is not a simple one. So there's a lot of topics there, um, probably more than we have time to go through in a, in a simple podcast. But it, it's controversial. And, you know, whether you're talking the number of bison, what their impact is, how many they are, what's the proper management tools to control their numbers, any one of those topics, you could do an entire podcast on just that topic. Right. But where I'd like to steer the conversation and what I firmly believe in is solutions, mm. okay? We can argue about the problems, but how much better is it to focus on some solutions? Yes. The country was founded on, um, I'm going to say, compromise. Mm-hmm. And by that, what I mean is, I never met Benjamin Franklin, off, 
But I'm in <laughs> awe how him and his peers were able to take things like states' rights and federal rights and come up with a compromise that created our 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 system of checks and balances in our government, um, our state and congressional systems um, that allow for everyone to have felt like there was a compromise or a solution that worked for everyone. Mm. What's missing so much in modern um, partisan politics is the ability to compromise, the ability to come to a practical solution where everybody gives up something and everybody gains something. Mm-hmm. we've got a situation where it's either got to be my way or it can't happen. And, and, or it's got to be your way or it can't happen. And then we end up doing nothing. Right. Yeah. We, we need to move forward with solutions to problems um, that are the best available solutions. And that takes problem solving, working together and being able to concede that maybe your perspective is not the only and complete and whole right perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. So you talk about bison harvest. Um, people can argue about how many there are and the best way to harvest them, but I think almost everyone would agree that we we want to remove more bison. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. With that as a platform, let's move forward. How can we remove more bison? Well. I'm an anti-hunter, or I'm a pro-hunter. Well, the pro-hunters say we've got to only hunt them, and the anti-hunters say we can't hunt them. Well, maybe there's a compromise where we use multiple management tools, and there is some sport hunting, and there is some capture and relocation, and um, they're able to go to multiple uses. Those are practical solutions, and even though no group is getting their way wholly, every group is meeting some of what their perspective is. And I think that's a healthier and more productive environment than than some of the current environment. Mm. And you talked about the different ways to kind of solve it. Obviously, there's hunting that goes on. Do they do any relocation of the buffalo? So um, just recently, in the last um, 30 days, there was a capture, Mm. um, and there were animals removed and sent to Oklahoma, I believe, um, to a native um, use. And those bison are obviously a great blessing to those people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's sportsmen in Arizona that think that's horrible. And, okay, I understand where they're coming from. Um, but at the end of the day, there's 31 less bison on the plateau, which is helping meet management objectives. Mm-hmm. And if that group got what they wanted, maybe the next um, time bison are removed, a different group could get what, they're want, what they want. And over time, many groups could have their needs met. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, okay, so one thing I'm sure they probably don't do, but a lot of bison kind of ranches and stuff, they sell the buffalo to, like, restaurants and stuff for the meat. Do they do that on the Grand Canyon, or is that kind of probably not? No. It, it's not part of the current program. Um, but they have talked about in these captures, groups could step forward meet certain requirements and be available to, I'll use the word adopt mm-hmm. or take those bison. Uh, there's some agreement or restrictions on what they're allowed to do with them for a period of time. Um, but at some point then they have governorship of those bison. Um, so certainly commercial use, 
um, although maybe not part of the current uh, program, maybe that's one of the compromises that would make sense in the future. Mm-hmm. It's definitely so interesting to talk about because there are, well, first of all, they're a very majestic, beautiful animal. Their patterns are different from everything. The way you hunt them is different from most things. And obviously the hunting them on the canyon and the park boundary lake and all that stuff is different from most animals that you hunt. And it is such a once in a lifetime opportunity. I know my hunt was um, as short it was as it was, thankfully, and thanks to your recommendation of the salt that we were to sit that day. Um, it was an amazing experience because they first they are so cool just to watch because they ran in that morning. You heard them pretty loud coming in, and after I was able to harvest my buffalo out of them out of the herd, they stayed there while we were getting other hunters in, and it was just really cool to be able to see them kind of interact with each other because it's not something you usually see especially after you shoot an animal out of a herd um to just see them interact and kind of see the big bulls walk in and get the salt and the little bulls or even some, like the cow stand and little bulls kind of fight with each other it was really cool to see that whole interaction and it was definitely different from every other animal that i've hunted they don't hang around that long they hung around for about an hour after i shot mine yeah, so, so cool. tell the whole story so you got to the blind and oh. yeah, I guess I'll tell you, you haven't story. told the story yet well, I was kind of you can start out like all Griego stories with. So there I was. Perfect. Uh, yeah, so Russ, um, with the great experience and knowledge that he has, knew basically right where the buffalo were going to be. So we drove down that morning. Everyone was at their spots, and we were driving down, and I was hunting one that was very close. Like, you could see the park boundary from the blind we were sitting in. And, and we drove down kind of to the park boundary, and the buffalo were standing there walking to the... I don't even know direction, but they were walking towards where the they salt. were. He thought, "Well, yeah. I think I know where they're going to go." Was yeah, what he, he was, saw where they were walking. He was, hey, so they're going to this salt, and then he turned around and we go over there, and we're sitting in the blind for not even fifteen minutes, and I just like I'm like, "Dad, here they come!" And I because I could hear them, and they just come down, and the little bulls, and we're coming down first to try and get the salt before the big bulls came, and it was just so cool to watch them. And I had a cow tag, and. Well, um, and Russ has kind of taught me the night before the gender identification because all of the animals have horns. And so you, it's kind of, it's very hard to tell, especially, um, like young bulls and cows and the difference. Um, but luckily I had a great teacher and Russ taught me a lot. And so, and also the challenges, there are so many and it's different from hunts, other hunts because, um, there are so many shot opportunities, but they only last a couple seconds. So... I was, my dad and I were like, and one, one is getting in front of the other one, yeah, one's getting behind they're it. They're moving so around and you need to be safe with, the, with their shot placement. Right. Um, and like Russ said, a bullet only goes through when there's another buffalo behind it. So um, given they are big animals, it's um, rare that the bullet will go through, but obviously you never want to bank on it not going through. So my dad and I were trying to figure out which one was a cow, which one I could shoot. And I would get on one and then it would turn and I'd try and get on another one. And then Russ comes in and he's like, all right, Jen, you ready, ready? Shoot this one, shoot this one. And then I'd get on that one and then it would move. And then I'd get on another one and it would move. And I was, it was very hectic for that amount of time. <laughs> uh, but then I was finally on one. And the reason I knew that that cow was the one Russ was talking about is because she lifted her leg up. I was like, all right, that's the one. And so and she scratched herself. Mm-hmm. She said the one scratched herself. That's the one. Yeah. I was like, all right, there we go. And so then I was able to make my shot. And she kind of ran off, and I could luckily see her behind the tree. And after a couple minutes, uh, she kind of laid down, and I could tell that um, I was assumed it was her, and I was like, okay, she's down. And Russ went off to get another hunter, and the buffalo kind of ran off after I shot, but then they all sort of filtered back through again. 
and that's when we sat there for about an hour we ended up getting another buffalo out of that herd I do want to say before you get on to the other hunters, the reason why it was so challenging was about 85 buffalo came mm-hmm. in at the same time. Yeah. So there were a big bunch that came in there, and it became a challenge to pick the one out, communicate which one you were going to shoot, and wait for a clear shot. And after you shot yours, Russ congratulated you and said, okay, I'm going to try to get another hunter in here. Yeah. So he utilized the co-op communications and mm-hmm. brought in other hunters. and Yeah, you know, and yeah. luckily we were able to harvest another buffalo out of it. And it was really cool to see how the how Russ's system works with the co-op and the radios and just to I will never get over seeing those buffalo and how they were working around that salt it was such an amazing experience and I am so thankful that I was able to have that experience hey Jen um can I ask you a couple questions yes go ahead um so I the questions there's two two lines of questioning I want to go down one is <laughs> okay I want to ask you to tell us a little bit about how you received your tag yeah. Okay. And the other one, if if you're willing, um, what advice do you have to future buffalo hunters? Like, how would you prepare? What can they do to increase their opportunities and their odds? Okay. Okay. All right. Um, your, your second question is so funny because I just wrote that down on a piece of paper to have Jennifer ask you that question, but she'll <laughs> answer it first, and then you can expand on it. Yes. Um, so I was sounds a- good. I was able to get the tag um, through Outdoor Experience for All. I actually got the tag from Dusty Hale. Um, shout out to him for giving me this tag. And it, so Outdoor Experience for All and the way that works, I did a podcast with Eddie Corona and Chris Dunham who started that foundation. Um, but people will, obviously you get tags drawn and then sometimes people can't go on hunts or things pop up. And so they can donate their tag to Outdoor Experience for All and then OE4A or Outdoor Experience for All will give that tag to someone like me who has a life-threatening illness or belongs to the foundation or a wounded warrior like um, Russ was talking about earlier and then they take that tag and they go on that hunt and so I was able to get the tag through Outdoor Experience for All and was able to go on that hunt and I'm so thankful that I was able to go and was able to harvest a buffalo. Because uh, it takes a long time. I, I think yeah. I've got 25 bonus points I think Russ something like that. It takes a long time for people to draw these these tags so it's a very cherished opportunity to hunt and when somebody can't go or if they feel charitable and donate it mm-hmm. it is a very kind thing and it gives kids with illnesses and um you know children of fallen heroes and um wounded veterans and wounded warriors to be able to utilize those yeah so that's the answer to your first question for yes. jennifer jennifer you're on pressure so under a lot of pressure for two oh, okay. so i want to expand on that just a little bit yes, before we go, go on to the second question mm-hmm. um i don't want to sound too corny but I do want to say it changes your perspective when you interact with these programs. Mm-hmm. Um, when you meet someone like Jennifer or someone similar to Jennifer's circumstances or one of the veterans, what a special opportunity to see someone where just getting to go on the hunt takes a much greater physical effort and a much greater challenge. I know for me personally, it helps me reorient on what a real problem is. I may feel like I have problems in my life, and then I meet someone like Jennifer who struggles to breathe, or someone that's missing a limb, or someone that is probably not going to be alive at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I realize I don't have problems. And that's a- one of the things I've learned in those programs is it's amazing to me how happy people are that have real problems. <laughs> um, you know, normal people, we're happy sometimes. 
but we're unhappy sometimes too, and I'll throw myself in that group. But when you meet someone like Jennifer, they're seldom not really happy. Mm. And that kind of is hard to understand. Someone that has challenges, you'd think they'd be grumpy once in a while. And I'm sure, Dad, you can probably tell us this. Does she ever get grumpy? <laughs> sure, occasionally. Usually when I say, Jennifer, let's go. It's time to get up and go, oh, go yeah. hike a mountain uh, or train for something. But not very often. No, she's, she's not very often. She's right. always happy. Right. And what a blessing. Um, you do have some challenges in your life that, that I can't relate to. But it's uh, inspiring to me how someone that's struggling or has these challenges can be such a positive, happy, upbeat person. And it inspires me to want to be more that way. So thank you, Jennifer. Well, thank you for that. That's very kind. And I think growing up, especially with CF, I have a different respect for life because I've learned that uh, you never know what tomorrow's going to bring and you never know what life's going to hit you with. So just try and take one day at a time and just live in the moment and be happy because life's better when you're happy about stuff. And I think I've just kind of learned things through my whole 17 years of life to just kind of take take it and just be happy with it because you can't control it um and just take what you know life gives you and um make the most that you can out of it because you know you never know what good can come out of it you I mean bad can come out of it too but a lot of times there are bad situations where good can come out of it and you're not going to see that good unless you know you have a positive attitude about it that's a very kind observation russ and i'll tell you that jennifer and myself and our entire family have feel the same way, particularly when we get to spend time and, and support the Wounded Warrior Outdoors. Mm-hmm. And I know you know some of those those gentlemen as well. And it's just um, you see their circumstances and what they struggle with. And it gives you just different perspective on life. Obviously, we have a daily uh, reality check with Jennifer. But it, viewing somebody with their mobility issues and their psychological issues and other things after fighting for this great country just gives us more appreciation. And we... We echo your sentiments after we spend time with um, on the trips with them. And it is a lot of fun, by the way, watching them give Jennifer a hard time and Jennifer <laughs> gives them a hard time. There's a lot of back and forth banter. So Yes. No, it's, that's very true. Yes. All so right. well, now, now can she answer your second two. question? <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. All right. Um, I think I wouldn't say I'm qualified to answer this question, but I think I know enough more than I – ever did before ever since talking to you on that hunt um about like kind of preparing and stuff hunters can do best for the hunt um first of all i think something that's really important is jennifer hi i'm jennifer um (laughs) gender identification um talking to you i learned a lot about that um and like spending time with you and looking at pictures of buffalo um i learned a lot about how to try to try and identify it the little things to look at um, like the size of the horns, um, the head shape, uh, this like the, I don't really want to say this thingy, but like the, the proof sh- of gender. Yeah, that, sex, there you go. Yeah. Um, you can use the word genital. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes. That, um, like on the other side of the buffalo. So, uh, the different things to look at, obviously Russ spends so much time out there with the buffalo. He can identify them very quickly. Um, and if, but I kind of, I wouldn't say I got pretty good at it, but I he did test me and I did pretty okay. Um, and then also I think the thing that's really important is, um, what you taught me as well is shot placement. Um, you were telling, you were saying before, like on the hunt that for an animal being that big, for a buffalo being that big, uh, it is surprising how many people can't get shots in the right area. And a lot of it has to do with like the way you think about it. And you explain it very well with the magic triangle. 
Um, obviously, you don't want to shoot in the hump of the buffalo because that's not going to do anything. Um, just kind of the way, obviously, as a hunter, you're told to shoot, like, behind the shoulder, like, in that crease. Um, and the buffalo are, their anatomy is just a little bit different with the way their arms kind of curve and their, the bones going to go. So And the organs are for, further yeah, forward. Yeah, the organs are much further forward, especially, and, well, at least, like, the vitals are much further forward. So you want to... I, I guess I'm trying to give a lecture on where to aim, but you can't see anything, so I'm trying to explain it. Straight but up the leg. Yeah, you go straight up the leg. Front leg. Is it like 12 inches above the leg? But you just go straight up the leg, and then you aim there, and in the magic triangle, and then hopefully, if you're a good shot, you'll make it. And I did, guys, just in case you were wondering. You did. Um, but I think, obviously, shot placement is very important because we had to track a buffalo, and we didn't end up finding it. We found blood, and then the trail kind of went away. Not your buffalo, another hunter's buffalo. Another hunter's buffalo who shot out of the out of the herd that I got mine out of. Um, so I think, obviously, shot placement is very important. Um, gender, gender identification is very important. Um, and just kind of, I think also it's very important, which I didn't have to deal with, thankfully, but being able to push through sitting in the blind from dark to dark. Um, luckily I was able to get mine early in the morning on the first day of the hunt. Thank you, Russ, again for that awesome place <laughs> on the salt. Um, but my dad and I had to do that a couple weeks later on a coos deer hunt and it was like for torture. like five days. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, it's, it's a lot to sit there and stare at a tree at nothing for hours, like 12 hours on end. Day you after get, day. Yeah, after day it's... It's a lot, and so being able to push through that and hope for a buffalo to come in. Um, if you have a hunting partner like my dad, he's a good, pretty, pretty good hunting partner. You kind of have someone to keep you company, even though I'm not a very good hunting partner because I take naps. Yeah, but so, which like, means like <laughs> keeping you company is I stay awake and I look for the animal while she sleeps. And after ten hours, I'll wake her up every once in a while and say, "Need to go out of the blind and go to the bathroom in case the buffalo come, come in or the deer come in." Yeah. But uh, yeah, but it, patience is very good. Yes. I think you also mentioned something else, Jennifer, when you were talking about shot placement, placement. <laughs> but um, accuracy and, yeah. and practice, what do you think about mm -hmm. that? Yeah, definitely practice a lot. Um, I think um, a lot of people will go into the hunt saying, it's a buffalo, how the freak can I miss this? But the organs are so far pushed forward, um, and you, they are very, very tough animals. They're big, they're tough. Um, and you don't want them to run in the park because then that causes an issue. So you want to have very good shot, uh, shot placement and accuracy to, um, and Russ was talking about this, to aim more for the top of the heart because if you hit the top of the heart, then the heart will start pumping it. It will more pump out more blood. And if you hit the middle of the heart, then it might kind of close up and the blood will circulate inside of the heart and won't kind of push out as much. And so obviously you want to be very accurate and make a good shot so they don't go into the park because you can't bring vehicles into the park and try and get them out and then you have to ask for permission to go in the park and then get the animals it's just a whole hassle so you want to try and avoid that and it's important to be able to get on your target yes make a good shot quickly as much mm -hmm. as they're moving around it it's not like you're going to be benched in laying there watching an animal in its bed for 30 minutes a lot of times it's a fat they might be at the salt for a long time but you have to be able to get on them and make a shot quickly before they move or change angles and stuff so mm -hmm. yeah i mean you have time but when you have to make that shot it's a quick shot because you never know they're moving around all the time especially if they come in a big herd they're constantly mm -hmm. moving and running around so you while you, they may be there for a long time your shot on a single animal for a certain amount of time is very short so you need to be quick with your shots and be accurate with them did i do okay yeah are you done 
That's not that was nice. good. I think those were all uh, excellent recommendations. Well, thank you. Do you have anything else that I didn't mention? That you'd like to add? Um, so I think it's important to prepare um, your scent control. Mm. Uh, for a lot of rifle hunters, they, they don't really think about scent control as much. And for bison, because the ranges are so close to, because of the thickness of the forest, Treating it more like uh, archery hunt and doing good scent control is important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the temperatures on the Kaibab vary widely, and being prepared for the temperatures you would expect on your particular season are important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like bringing a rain so, jacket. I didn't do that. <laughs> rain jacket for certain hunts, and then uh, it could be quite cold at different hunts, and being prepared for that because. Uh, it's not much fun when you're cold. So making sure you have the proper gear for that is also important. Yes, for sure. Because it is northern Arizona, so it can go from very hot to very cold. Not quickly, but it can do that. So I, if you're hunting in Arizona, don't think that it's all desert because it is not, especially on the Kaibab. They, get, they can get tons of snow up there in the winter. True. And how often do you see, Russ, that someone gets a, a bison and they just are completely not prepared to deal with the meat? in order to get it back to where they can get it on ice. Do a lot of people not come with enough ice chests or tarps or what's your recommendation? Most people don't own enough ice chests to handle a bison. (laughs) Right. Um, Even the best prepared hunters are usually shocked when they finally approach the animal at the sheer size of the animals they're dealing with. Um, You know, for Arizona residents, Maybe a javelina or a coos deer or a turkey would be your smaller big game animals that you might need to, to process after a harvest. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly a bison is the biggest. So just the sheer size of the animal and the weight of the animal is overwhelming for most people. Um, so I think the best thing is bring someone experienced along that's done bison before. That's obviously a really good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, those are not as plentiful as, as maybe as we would like. Mm-hmm. Um, so certainly having a lot of help can come in handy. Um, we had hunters recently, um, there was two hunters and two helpers, um, and they're all able-bodied, capable people that have harvested dozens and dozens of elk in Arizona. And when they went up to the cow bison, they were overwhelmed at just the sheer size of the animal and, and how to process it and get it out of there. Um, so certainly, um, doing your homework ahead of time and being prepared with enough help and enough tools to, to deal with the animal, mm. um, enough game bags. Um, we recommend pillowcases. They make really good game bags mm-hmm. mm. and you're going to want, um, 10 to 12 game bags, um, of that size of a pillowcase size for a bison. And then, um, ice chest wise, it could be cost prohibitive to purchase enough big ice chests to put a bison in. So what we've started doing is recommending a small chest freezer. Um, hmm. People can buy a 15 cubic foot chest freezer, and with that and a couple ice chests, you can handle a head, a cape, and your bison meat. It's more cost effective than, than buying enough big ice chests. So you just have them bring that with a generator? And just put it in the um, bed of the truck. You can bring it with the ge- you can bring it with a generator because you can then keep ice cold and you can also um, cool your meat and things. Um, but even if you don't, if you just use it like an ice chest, 
Because oh. if you think about it, it's an insulated box, just like an ice chest. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, it's still more cost-effective than going and purchasing a bunch of, you know, 200-quart coolers. Oh, that's true. Especially if you look on uh, the used pages, you know, some of the online forums and so forth, you can find a lot of times a good used ice chest for a couple hundred bucks. And uh, you go price uh, a good cooler these days, and, you know, $200 doesn't go as far as it once did. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, buffalo are huge. And even, I think, also not only bringing the meat, um, like, back from uh, hunting it, but also where to store it. Um, It takes up, we had to buy a new freezer when my dad got his buffalo. It takes up a lot. There's a lot of meat. It's amazing meat. Tastes so good. We give it to a lot of friends. But um, it takes up a lot of space after you get it kind of taken care of. So I would say making sure you have freezer room for the... um, for the meat is important because, I mean, obviously you can have coolers, but you can't always have meat in the coolers for forever. So I would say having freezer room is also a big thing because it takes up a lot of space. And I would and recommend that's another, it. It's really good. Another meat. reason why using a freezer instead of ice chest can be a really good choice because after you get it home, you've already got something to put it in. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Very good. All righty. Well, that's kind of all I want to talk about. Do you have anything that we didn't talk about that you wanted to mention? Well, Jennifer, um, I'm really curious what your next hunt is. Um, oh. <laughs> what, you have left, what you have left in your Big Ten, yes. um, what your next hunt is, and, and kind of what your next calendar year is going to be like. All right. Um, so that's my Big Ten. I have Coos Deer and Mountain Lion. Um, so I tried for Coos Deer in, crap, what month was it? Like end of August, beginning of September. And I didn't get one. My dad and I sat in the blind for for forever and um, for like five days, um, staring at trees. Didn't see a single deer. It was a little bit of a rough time. But um, so I didn't get a coos deer in that round. But hopefully I will get one mid October. Eddie Corona with OA4I says he will probably have a tag for me. He for sure has a tag. Yeah, for he has a tag for me in October. Yeah, so um, we'll be trying for coos deer again. Um, this weekend, I actually have early rifle elk with my mom um, on um, 18B, and so that's kind of more the Prescott. So that's what I'm doing most recently. A rifle tag during the rut. Yes. It should be really I am good, Russ. Super excited. You should have a really good chance at Yeah, I'm a, I'm a tiny bit jealous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm very lucky. I also got that tag from Jace. If you know who Jace Scott is, of course his, he does. Yeah. For the listeners. Who? That guy? <laughs> yeah, okay. no, no one knows Jay Scott. Why would I even Jay's mention? awesome. Um, his mom got the tag and donated it to me. So I got that tag through OA4A as well. Um, my mom did the tag, so we're hunting together. And then with Wounded Warriors in two weeks, uh, two weekends, I'm going down to Florida to go alligator hunting with them. And so I'm super excited about that. And I think that's about it and then you get back and you have a mountain lion hunt oh right (laughs) the other thing i need for my big dead mountain lion hunt um i have that and coos deer kind of in the same week because i have fall break so that too and then that's basically it oh and then i have um next like in the spring i have desert sheep um in march in mexico so yeah so um what I heard you say is you're going to complete your Big Ten before Christmas. That's what I heard you say. Hopefully, yes. Hopefully so. Come on. Is that, is that a goal? Is that a goal or a wish? Oh, well, it's a goal. I was The goal was to complete it before I turn 18, but I will be hunting the week after I turn 18. So I would hopefully get it before November. 
Um, but probably, I think the goal would be before Thanksgiving. Fingers crossed. We'll yeah. see. Depends a lot on uh, the luck with the mountain lions. But your your yeah. deer hunt will be the week after you turn. She after turns turn 18 on the 17th, Russ. So. Yeah. Okay. So, Jennifer, I want to be one of the first ones to hear about it when you when you get your last animal in your Big Ten, okay? Oh, for sure. I will definitely let you know, and I will send you pictures, and I'll keep you updated with what happens. I will send you pictures <laughs> from if I harvest, hopefully, if I'll show you if I'm lucky in the next couple hunts that I have. But I will definitely keep you updated with everything. And Russ, if you're not done by the end of Thanksgiving, I'm going to kidnap you, put you in my truck, and we're going to finish you off in December. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> sounds good. That sounds good. And before we wrap up, Russ, oh. I do want to play one of my favorite songs that Jennifer sang. This is while she was uh, while she was skinning out her buffalo with you. I don't know if you remember this one. I don't really, Okay. Yep, go ahead. Buffalo girl, won't you come out tonight? Won't you come out tonight? Won't you come out tonight? Buffalo girl, won't you come out tonight? And dance by the light of the moon. And what are you doing right now? What are you doing right now, Buffalo Girl? Skinning a buffalo. Skinning out a buffalo girl. There you go. Gotta <laughs> love irony. Oh, Lord. Very ironic. We always we always watch the show every year at uh, Christmas. Movie. It's a wonderful it's life. wonderful life. And uh, it's one of the songs from that, so. Yeah, so I was skinning out my buffalo. My dad made me sing that. Yeah, it's very cringy. It's what I like to do is uh, make Thanks. her feel uh, like that's kind of cringy, so. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey. Go ahead. I want to say thank you. Um you know, sharing that moment with you and your father um, was very special to me. It's something I'll always remember. And uh, there's this song that pops into my head each time we skin a buffalo. I bet you can't guess what it is. Is it the one we just played? <laughs> yeah, and uh, we don't sing it quite as well as you do, so I'm not going to try. <laughs> um, but it's one of those tunes you can't get out of your head now. And it, yeah. it, I carry it with me in memory of that. And I... And, uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to have been part of your hunt. I really enjoyed that. So thank you. Well, thank you for um, giving me the great um, salt placement on that day and for helping tell me which one to shoot in the whole chaotic moment of all the buffalo. Um, it was a great experience. And thanks for letting me tag along on getting the other buffalo that people got that day and for helping us kind of skin it out. It was That whole day was such a great experience. And I stayed up from 3 a.m. to 10 p.m., guys. Didn't even take a nap. Look at she that. was awake all day, but I do want to. I want to thank you, Russ. When I spoke with you um, a couple of times before uh, we booked the hunt with you and went hunting with you, you, you know, you mentioned early on that you get a lot out of helping the the people to get their tags through OE4A and the Wounded Warriors, and you back up what you say uh, with mm -hmm. your services, and you give a financial break or don't charge people to to help them out of those hunts, and um, you're a class act. You've really been very gracious and generous with your time and your assistance, not just through the co-op, but particularly to help um, kids that have health issues and our, our veterans and our wounded warriors. And you you don't just talk the talk, you walk the walk, and you really are a great guy, and you do a lot to help everybody on that, enjoy that experience. So thank you very much. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, and so thank you for coming on here. I know you're very busy with the buffalo hunts and everything. So thank you for taking the time every day to come talk to us. It was great talking to you, and I love spending time with you on the hunt in July. It was so much fun. Um, and I will definitely keep you updated with uh, my Big Ten and how that is going. But thank you for coming on here and talking to us. I love talking to you, and I love hearing everything that to say because you're so knowledgeable about it. And you bring jokes in, and it's really fun to talk to you. I, I appreciate that. And uh, I look forward to being back on again sometime in the future. Very good. Yes, We'd love that. Sure. Thank All you right. so much, Russ. Thanks, Russ. Good luck on your hunts. Yes.
Thanks. Have a great day. Thanks, Thanks. you too. All right. Well, I love hang- talking to Russ, hanging out with Russ. He is so fun. He's so animated and everything he talks about. Um, obviously, you can't say everything that he told us on the hunt and the podcast to keep everything appropriate, but it was... F- <laughs> not that he's inappropriate. He's not inappropriate, but it's like, you know, PC and stuff. Anyway. <laughs> Russ is a great patriot and he speaks his mind. He does. And he's got... We share a lot of his same conservative values and and um, it was great having some discussions with them and some of them are a little bit beyond the scope of talking about Buffalo today, but mm-hmm. he's a great American. Yes, he is. And the time he spent in the co-op, we didn't talk so like too much about it, but he goes through a lot of stuff. He has blinds that, in quotes, walk away, uh, chairs that walk away. Um, he gets stolen from because he puts himself out there and like basically lets us sit in his in his um. His equipment, yeah, his gear. Equipment, thank you. Let you use his blinds, his chairs, and everything else. They're really nice chairs, too. Yeah, they, he calls them what the. Uh, the Lazy Boy chairs? The Lazy Boys of the Kaibab. Yeah, Lazy Boys of the Kaibab. They're so reclining chairs, which is very dangerous for you, Jennifer, because it's oh. hard to keep you awake yes. in an uncomfortable chair. Yeah. So he puts a ton of effort in. And so if you draw that Buffalo tag, um, and if you just want to put him for the Buffalo tag, like my dad said, he's been putting in for a while, so it is hard to draw. But if you do draw it, uh, I definitely recommend going for Russ because he knows in, like my dad said, people can choose their spots, but I would go with what he says um, because he knows so much. He spends so much, so much time up there. He like lives with those Buffalo. He basically lives and breathes Buffalo. And so I would take his recommendations because he's very smart about that stuff. <clears throat> and um, if you go on there, it is, it can be a rough hunt, but it's a fun time if you get one. So um, definitely I would recommend going with Russ. He knows, obviously we talked about it, he knows so much stuff. He is fun to hang out with. Um, and his whole system of how he gets the buffalo out, he works very fast. We didn't, we didn't fast. talk about we didn't that, talk about that today, but go ahead. But, so he has this like, I don't even know what do you, what do you call it? It's an electric winch. Electric winch. So he like hooks it up to the buffalo and like puts it in kind of their, what do you call that? He like hooks it into them and then Yeah, he makes a cut them in the hocks and, then, and yeah. pulls them up. At first he goes up the tree and he puts a, a big rope, rope around it like a tow rope with a hook and then he takes puts the cable over that down to the he puts the um gamble gamble i don't know you would know more than i'm make sure i get the word right but um puts the gramble i think it is through the the legs of the bison and hooks it up to the winch uh and just lifts him up in the air and then he can load him into the truck and yeah he pulls pull the raptor away. up it's right impressive. to him and lowers them down, and it's crazy. And, and if gambrel, okay, the word's gambrel. Okay, and if you've ever hunted buffalo or ever been up close to buffalo, they're freaking huge. They weigh a lot, so having that whole system of getting them into the truck is great because, like, carrying them out would be an issue. And um, so yeah, he's very efficient. He knows what to do. He knows how to do it. Uh, like he said, he's an engineer, and so everything he does. Is you can you can tell when you hang out with him that he's an engineer because he has everything kind of down and he works very effectively. But um, obviously, as you can hear, he's very knowledgeable about this stuff. He loves talking about it. I love talking to him about it because he can just talk about it forever and he knows a lot about it and he's passionate about it, which makes it very interesting to talk about. Are you looking up how the word is spelled? Yeah, just to show or you what it is. It's yeah, a gram- it's a gamble. Gamble. Fun. I bet I can get you to gamble on how to spell gamble. I can see it. G-A-M-B-R-E-L-S. Oh, oh, I didn't know you could read. I would have lost money. Thank goodness I didn't bet. Yeah. Well, anyway, I'm so thankful for him to come on here and talk to us. Um, I love... He had some stories which we didn't get to talk about today. 
Um, but he has funny stories, especially one one person. I'll just tell it because he didn't get to tell. But one time he was driving, like I like we talked about earlier, like they can get a ton of snow up on the Kaibab. So they were driving on like the four wheeler in the snow, and it was kind of fresh snow. And this guy was like, "Dude, like I think he had like go pee or something." He's like, "I had to go." And Russ was like, "Okay, we'll wait for a second. I'll just pull off the road." He's like, "No, I have to go." So Russ was like, "Okay, fine." So he stopped it, and the guy stepped out of the Ranger and fell like straight down into the snow. <laughs> he was like, "You should have listened to me. Yeah, I should have pulled he off." He fell like seven feet into yeah. the snow <laughs> because he puts his Ranger on those track tires. Yeah. So it's like a you know it's like a snowmobile type thing. Mm-hmm. So he's able to go on top of the snow, and this guy fell seven feet into the snow. He's like, "You should have listened to me." So listen to Russ. He's he knows what he's talking about. But, but hang on, I do have to say this about the gamble and the gamble. Gambling. Say anything about gambling. It's not gambling when you know you're going to win. There you oh, go. True. Yes. All right. Well, do you have anything else you'd like to add, Father? No, I think it's. Uh, I I think he's a wealth of knowledge. He's a great guy. He knows what he's doing. And Jen, I've told you many times throughout your life. I really like to watch people that know what they're doing and mm-hmm. have a system and an organized fashion to do things. You can learn a lot from people in all different walks of life. He's a bright guy. He's an engineer. He knows a lot about a lot of things and it's uh, I really enjoyed watching how he approaches the bison hunts the processing of the bison the organization of the hunters the co-op etc I think it was a great experience and I highly recommend anybody who gets a chance to hunt for bison on the Kaibab to book him and have him help him out because you will not be disappointed Mm-mm. yeah anyway it was a great podcast and um, I just have this to say about that well I hope you folks enjoyed yourselves get you later on down the trail <laughs> That's from the Big Lebowski. Oh my goodness. All right. Well, you go, guys. Life is short, and so am I. And I'm trying to make the most out of every day, and I hope that you guys do too. I hope you all have a great journey, and you make it an epic one. Well, you better know the bottom if you want to be a climber. Because there's always another one a little bit higher. Just when I think I'm finally done, I'm staring at another. So I reach down deep and I lace them up tighter It was only a mountain Nothing but a big old rock Only a mountain It ain't hard if you don't stop It just took a little step A right then a left Then a couple million more who's counting